Good morning. My name is John Gildner. I serve as one of our executive pastors here. And I did say good morning. Um, earlier, I was going to come up and say and wish you a good afternoon because to me, I mean, if we're getting ready to eat lunch, if we're getting ready to eat ice cream, then that should be, I, I consider that afternoon. Uh, but I, I was persuaded this week um, by my fellow pastors and almost every single human being on Facebook that 1130 is still considered morning. So with that, I think it was actually the first time in recorded history that someone's mind has been changed by a Facebook interaction. So miracles can happen. But anyway, it's good to be together outside one last time for the summer. Hopefully next year when we gather outside, we'll see things happening behind me. We'll see a pavilion being built, a, a playground will be going up over here, a walking path going around, earth being moved. So we, we are excited to see that happen. Uh, we also have several of our Imagine Initiative projects have already begun inside that building. So when we return this next, over these next couple of weeks, you'll see some things happening. But we're, we're, we're excited for when things begin happening out here next spring. Uh, I know you're hungry, and I know the food trucks are waiting, so I, be- I better jump right in. Today is our final week in the Gospel of John, and it's been a great journey together, taking in the story of Jesus through John's eyes. Last week, Pastor Rob preached an incredible sermon from John 20. The basic message was this. No matter what you've done, no matter, no matter who you were in the past, Jesus comes to, you, comes to you and offers you new life. Our past doesn't determine our future. Jesus, whom Mary Magdalene thought was the gardener, um, Jesus, whom Mary Magdalene thought was the gardener, makes us new and invites us into, to, to live into this new creation life. This is the essence of the gospel. John's gospel could have ended right there. You could have put a bow on it and called it good. Even John ends the gospel saying that all of what he has just written and the stories he has told about Jesus are so that future hearers and readers would believe and find life in Jesus. So it feels like John is trying to bring this scene to a close. But then there's another chapter. The gospel doesn't end with Jesus' appearance to to Mary Magdalene, to his disciples, and finally to Thomas. The story doesn't end with the resurrection appearance and the announcement. John 21 begins with Peter saying in verse 3, I'm going out to fish. And the others with him agree, and they want to go with him. Is there anything more normal than going fishing? For for them, it it was the same thing over and over. You throw the net out, bring it back. Throw it out and bring it in. Find a different spot, then throw it out and bring that back in. This is what they knew it made sense to them. And and I get that. I don't know about you, but when when life gets crazy and out of control, I I try to find the the most mundane thing that I can do. For me, it's cleaning around the house. Getting rid of clutter, organizing, straightening, run the vacuum... The, f- the first time I realized this is when Monica and I were living in Kansas City. Addie was, Addie was just a baby. I was attending seminary. And like clockwork, at the beginning of each semester, I would attend all my classes. I'd, I'd get the, the syllabus for each class. I'd come home, and in my, in my planner, I would plot out all the big assignments and all the projects for the semester. And then the dread would settle in. And for the next two weeks, I would, be, I would be quiet, my head would be down, I'd be stressed out, and I would tell Monica, this is the semester that's going to break me. 
Uh, I would, so I'd clean the house over and over, straightening and picking up. I'd pick up her cup before she'd even set, set it down. And then, and then finally one day Monica said, you know, you do this every semester and everything always turns out fine. She was right. But, but that's what I did. It was and it still is my way of trying to gain control. Perhaps it was the same for Peter and the other disciples. What would you, what would you have done if you were Peter and, and the other disciples? Jesus the one that you've been following for the last three years has died. He's nowhere to be found. He, he appeared to them once, but now he's gone. I have to wonder if they thought it was all a dream. Maybe they had high hopes for what Jesus might do for them. Maybe they had high hopes for what Jesus might do for their people. Maybe they had bought into that, that cultural assumption that Jesus would bring about a violent revolution and overthrow all their oppressors. We, we get the sense in John's gospel that Peter wants to be, he, he wants to be all in on this Jesus movement. Earlier in, in John 13, Jesus comes to Simon Peter, who says to Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter wanted in on whatever Jesus was doing. Earlier in chapter 1, Peter's brother Andrew had told him, we have found the Messiah. And for them, the Messiah was the one who would put everything right. The Messiah would bring about a new kingdom where they were on top and their enemies would be brought low. There would be an end to foreign occupation. Israel would be great once more. But now, sometimes, sometime afterward, as John says, Jesus isn't with them and life has gone back to normal. So it's time to go fishing. It's not terribly surprising that they go fishing. This was their livelihood. This is what they knew how to do. Fishing made sense. Their, their world had been flipped upside down, so this was how they coped. This was how they tried to gain control. After all, I mean, they still had to make a living. For Peter and the others with him, it was back to normal. Business as usual, old, old patterns, old ways, old identities. Peter and the other disciples hadn't yet realized that everything had changed. They assumed that life went back to how it was. Boats and fishing nets and Romans breathing down their necks. But then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in the midst of the ordinary. Or maybe better yet, they, they finally realize that Jesus is there in the midst of the ordinary. We forget that Jesus promised to always be with us, to never leave us. We don't have to wonder if he's with us. He is with us. So from the shore then, Jesus tells them to throw their nets on the other side. And what do they do? They bring in this huge haul. They couldn't even pull in everything that they caught. And they soon make their way to shore where Jesus is cooking a fish and bread breakfast over a charcoal fire. Jesus has everything needed for the fire, but he invites them to add some of what they've caught to the meal. Uh, for some reason, Jesus adds the detail that they caught 153 fish. It's not known if that number has any real significance. Some have speculated that 153 represented the totality of the nations in the world. So maybe it was a reminder that their new task, their new commission was to fish for people for, for the nations. 
And the beauty of this story and this scene around the fire is that Jesus doesn't seem to be hurried. He doesn't seem to be overwhelmed or he's not even ups- doesn't even appear to be upset with the disciples. He doesn't lecture them about missing the point or about trying to make ends meet. Jesus invites them to add their catch to his meal. He has everything they need for this meal and he has everything they'll need for the work he's called them to. The resurrected life is fully in the hands of Jesus. But how are they supposed to live now in this new creation? What is it what does the resurrected life look like? Should they return to 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 life as normal to should they return to work? How do we live in a world where, where for every everything for us has changed, but the world around us is still playing by different rules, by the old rules? I think this is the question of, of John twenty one, and it's the question for us today. The resurrection has happened. Now, new creation has broken in, so what do we do now? Well, to begin answering that, I think we need to go back to that beach scene. When the disciples row into shore, they find Jesus there waiting for, him, for them. John 21, verse 9 says, When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. The last time there was a fire was in John 18. Do you remember that scene? I'm sure Peter remembered it. As he got onto shore and he saw Jesus there, he heard the crackle as he warmed himself there by the fire. And then those memories came rushing back of that previous fire. It was the night of Jesus' arrest. The same night that Peter had, had grabbed a sword and cut off the right ear of the high priest's servant. After Jesus had been led away, Peter found himself outside in the courtyard, warming himself by a fire. It, it was there that a servant girl asked him the question, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? Peter replied, I am not. Later on, while Peter was still standing around the fire, he was asked again, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? Again, Peter denied it and said, I am not. A third time, Peter denied being with Jesus in the garden. I have to think that as Peter felt that warmth of that fire and as the smell of that fire hit his nose and as he saw Jesus standing next to the fire, his mind went back to that horrible night. I discovered something this week when I was reading the accounts of Peter's denials throughout the Gospels. In the book of Matthew, Peter denies knowing Jesus. In Mark, Peter denies being part of Jesus' group. In Luke's Gospel, he denies knowing Jesus and denies being with Jesus' group. But in John's gospel, the question that the servant girl asks is, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter's reply is no. I'm not sure Peter got that question wrong. Maybe he really wasn't a disciple of Jesus' yet. He'd been following Jesus for a while. He'd pledged his devotion to him. He'd given up his livelihood. All those things are true. But why did he do those things? What had Peter been hoping for? Looking back now from our perspective, we understand that Jesus didn't come to, to bring about a revolution in the same way that, that others had done. Jesus didn't come to, over, to overcome the world using the ways of the world. He didn't fight fire with fire. He didn't amass horses and chariots. His obsession, obsession wasn't with overthrowing the Roman occupiers. Yet I think maybe perhaps that's what Peter's hope was. This was the cultural assumption 
that the Messiah, the holy anointed one of God, would rise up and take over. Peter had hoped Jesus would ascend into power and they, he, would ascend with him. Maybe this is what drove Peter to pledge his allegiance to Jesus. To say to Jesus, don't wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He wanted in on this Jesus movement. I think this is what drove him to take the sword and strike the servant in the garden. Peter thought Jesus' kingdom would be won using the weapons of the world. I think this is what drove Peter to make the bold statements he made, to take the big actions he took. Peter, the rock, had no problem making his presence known. But now Peter stands before Jesus once again at that charcoal fire. What would be going through your mind? How many times do you think Peter has played that scene over and over in his head? How many nights has he lost sleep? When I know that I have failed in some way or disappointed someone, I, I play that through my mind. I imagine what that person will say to me. I imagine the anger that they might direct at me. I play out the worst scenario possible in my mind. And with all this circling around in Peter's mind, John tells, tells us that this is what happens next, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. That's hard for me to get over what Jesus does here. It's hard for me to get over because it's so unlike me. It's so unlike any of us. I'm sure that Peter's brain was stuck in the past, stuck in that first scene around the fire. But Jesus, Jesus makes no reference to that. Jesus doesn't let Peter have it. He does, Jesus doesn't pull out the transcript from that night to show Peter where he went wrong. Jesus doesn't even speak words of forgiveness. Instead, Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? John says that Peter is hurt by this repeated question. I mean, if anybody should be hurt, wouldn't you think that it would be Jesus? But yet Jesus asks three times, do you love me? And each time after Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus gives him a command, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Did you notice all of Jesus' words are focused on the present? Do you love me now? Feed my sheep now. Jesus isn't stuck on Peter's failure to be a faithful disciple in the past. He's not caught up on what he got wrong. Jesus is calling Peter. He's calling him forth into his true identity. There's a 19th century philosopher and theologian, a Danish philosopher and theologian named Soren Kierkegaard. And Kierkegaard once said, Life can only be understood by looking backward, but it must be lived looking 
forward. Jesus wants Peter to look forward. He's reminding Peter of what he's been calling him to all along. Jesus wants Peter to get this through his head and into his heart. In these, in these verses, he even addresses Peter as Simon, son of John. That, that's like when your mom is, is, is calling you and she's trying to get your attention. She calls you by your first and your middle name. That never happened with me, but I can imagine it happened in other households with less obedient children. But Jesus is calling Peter, Simon, son of John. He's calling him into the present. He's calling him in to live into this new creation reality. He, he wants Peter to know what it means to live as a disciple, to live this resurrected life. And that's what Jesus wants for us too. So many of us are, are replaying stories of our past failures in our heads. We know that script. We know it by heart and we keep replaying it. We think Jesus that Jesus is just waiting to let us have it. Maybe it's even kept us at a distance from him. So what is it that Jesus wants for us? What does new creation look like? Jesus keeps it pretty simple. Jesus wants us to love him. To love him more than anything. The first time he asks Peter if he loves him, Jesus says, Do you love me more than these? We don't know what the these refers to. Is it more than the fish he caught? Does he love Jesus more than he loves his friends, the other disciples? Does he love Jesus more than the way that the other disciples love Jesus? I think it's no mistake that Jesus doesn't make it clear. Because Jesus wants us to love him more than anything. There should be a singleness of purpose and devotion, a love with no rivals. So then the follow-up question to that is, how, how, how do we love Jesus? Jesus instructed Peter to feed his lambs, to care for his sheep. Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep as he's known, is calling Peter to carry on his very own work. He's calling Peter to be a shepherd. And Jesus invites us into the very same work that he carried out. It's not a lesser calling. It's not something reserved only for a few. It's a call to do what Jesus did, to go where Jesus went, to love those whom Jesus loves. As Jesus says to Peter, follow me. You know, following Jesus really hasn't been the problem for Peter. He's done that very well for the past few years. That is until Jesus was arrested and led away. That's when Peter had to question whether or not he was really a disciple. I mean, was this Jesus? Was this the person he wanted to follow? Did he really want to be on the losing team? But the call to follow Jesus is the call to surrender. It's a call to surrender our lives to him. Do you remember the life that Jesus lived? A life poured out for others? A life of service? A life emptied of all but love? A life that led to the cross? And when it came time to face the enemy... Jesus didn't take up the sword like Peter did. Jesus didn't fight fire with fire. He went to the cross. In the words of the Apostle Paul, this is a life that is foolishness to our world, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. To follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to live the new creation life, is to live out this resurrected, crucified life. And Jesus is now telling Peter that he too will die a death like his. In verse 18, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, just as Jesus did, 
and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Surely by now, surely at this, Peter will get it. And just when we think that this will sink in for Peter, just when we think that he'll understand what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus, to follow him with his whole heart, he turns and he sees John and he asks Jesus, what about him? If they had emojis back then, this is the perfect time for that, that facepalm emoji. I can imagine if, if Pastor Rob was here, he would be banging his head with his hand. Come on, Peter, don't you get it? Jesus tells him, what is it to you? John's path and future is not your concern. What matters is you following me. Keep your eyes on me. Stop looking to the left and to the right. Stop getting distracted with the stuff around you. Stop the comparisons and follow me. Jesus wants you and me to follow him with everything that we have, everything we know, everywhere, every place that we go. When Peter went fishing after the resurrection, I think he forgot that Jesus goes fishing with him. Sometimes we forget that Jesus goes with us everywhere we go. So our jobs, our studying, our our retirement life, whatever it is, those can be places where the new creation life breaks in. Over the last year or so, you may have noticed that when we've ended our services in the sanctuary, we've done it a little bit differently than we have in the past. But one of the things that we've tried to be intentional about is offering a benediction. A benediction serves as a reminder that our worship, that which we've sung about and what we've heard proclaimed, is supposed to be lived out as we go. So it's like we're saying in that benediction, go live this out. God is with you. New creation is here and everything has changed. Go and live it out. Just last, last Sunday, we had an incredible service, if, if you were here. And I, I saw this story on Facebook following our service. It's about Randy Smith, Randy who attends Central, and Randy gave me permission to share this. Well, last Sunday was awesome. And Pastor Rob, as he said, it was Easter in August and we celebrated. The, the, the worship music was awesome. We were all together in one service. It was just a wonderful morning. And then Randy got into his car. He pulled out onto Bristol. And without realizing it, a lady cut him off. She let him know this with a simple hand gesture. And Randy said, and, and what do I do? Totally lose my cool. I, I point at her and laugh at her while she's still giving me, flipping me off. He said, I was so ashamed of myself. I have got to do better than that. I need to stop being transformed by the world. I love Randy's story. It, it, it reminds us that the Christian life doesn't end at the back of the sanctuary or at the end of our parking lots. We are called to live out the resurrected life of Jesus when we pull out of here, when we go to work or school in our homes. We need to be transformed, and it's a transforma transformation that needs to happen at the hands of Jesus. Jesus isn't waiting to remind you of all the times you got it wrong. When you misunderstood what it means to be a disciple, he's waiting by that fire the fish and the bread are cooking, and he invites you to join him. Let us pray. Father, so many of us are much too skilled at replaying that narrative of, of, of when we've messed up of how we've gone wrong, of, of what we've done. 
Lord, and yet here you are, waiting for us, a, a brand new invitation for today, to come and to follow you. Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to you, that we would love you first and foremost, Lord, that we would give you our lives, that we would want to spend time with you, that we would give you everything that we have, Lord, so that we might be used, so that we might carry out and live forth this resurrection life, that we might carry on all that you undertook in this world, Lord. We want to be your ambassadors. We want to be that kingdom of priests living that out. So help us, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us, to come into us, Lord, and to to breathe new life. Help us, Lord. We need you today. We ask all of this in the name of our Jesus, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, it has been it is great being with you this morning. We have got we've got a na- fun afternoon plan. We've got food trucks over there waiting for you. We've got just so you know the Italian food truck, which is new to us this time has vegan and vegetarian options, so if that's a consideration for you, know that you can get that there. We have students who are selling hot dogs to help raise funds for NYC, so if, if you want to uh, buy a hot dog and support them, put in a little extra, that, that would be great too. But go and support them. There's a little bit less of us here today than normal, so go spend time. All the r- local restaurants are closed. You have no food at your home, so just go and spend, spend your money here and support our vendors. Just a reminder, this week we have the women's Bible study on two services, one at 9.30 and one at 11. Okay, I think that's benediction. This is from the Apostle Paul. He wrote these words to the church in Ephesus. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go in his grace and peace today, friends. Have a great Sunday.